This trip through Telehell is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I just joined a couple months ago, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And don't forget to tell them that Telehell sent you when you apply. Abandon all remote controls, ye who enter here. It's time to unlock the gates to Telehell. Why did you give me a skateboard that lost two of its wheels? You do realize where you are, right? If we made things easy for you, we'd have to make things easy for everybody else. And if everybody had it easy around here, well, we might as well be that place in the sky. (sighs) Yeah, I can see that. I'm more curious about why specifically a skateboard when I never used one when I was alive. I don't make the torches, honey. I just send them out. Though, judging by how roughed up you got on the way down here, I'd say it worked better than the boss planned it. Speaking of which, how's he doing? He's not still moody about, you know. Oh, he's made peace with it. But I wouldn't go bringing it up unless it was necessary. In fact, when you go inside to meet him, he's going to look and sound a little, uh, different from the last time you saw him. He has a habit of changing his persona depending on his mood. You look a little messy, though. Let me give you a touch-up before you go in. Yeah! What the hell is that? You know I have a lot of open wounds now, right? Oh, it's my own blend. Bactine, Ambisol, cheap cologne, alpha hydroxies, hydrochloric acid, arsenic, cyanide, um, oh yeah, atom dust, salt, lemon juice, Tabasco sauce, peppermint, and our own lava. In just a few seconds, you should be able to peel off those wounds like a snake sheds its skin. <laughs> Wow, I actually look human again. It almost makes up for the broken bones in my body. Wait for it. That's amazing. Uh, You should consider bringing that to the surface world somehow. We get a lot more human suffering. Uh, That's the problem. The only good thing about this formula is that it can't kill what's already dead. If I gave this stuff to mortals, that means more people come down here, and I have to do more paperwork just to process their entrance here. So for now, let's just keep this uh, an office secret. You know where to go, and you know what to do. Good luck, honey. Hello, sir. How are things? 
Ah, the usual. Some fire here, some brimstone there, and the reserved section we got taped off for the Republican Party is getting an expansion built in a few months. You sound extra throaty today. You want to talk about it? Look, don't worry about walking on eggshells. Yes, I'm annoyed that someone else came up with a coronavirus before I did, but life and death goes on. Trust me, I've been around since time began, and I've come up with many ideas for human suffering. Everything from the Black Plague to stepping on Lego blocks. If everybody was perfect, there wouldn't be a hell. But let's cut the chit-chat. There's a lot we need to go over here. Good news, I hope. Well, that depends. We gave you 17 weeks to cover the worst of television. And while you managed to do that for most of the time, I have a few questions about some of the shows you did. Well, keep in mind that- Keeping in mind that I'm already aware of why you had to scrap two shows, and I have to remind myself of that whenever I see the news. So let's just drop it for now and talk about your... Progress Resort of the Damned. So let's see what we did here. You started the season in January, just wrapped up at the end of May, and you even did some stuff in between. Let's go over the shows you did first. You started the season with the pilot episode of ABC's 2020. Why did you choose to start the season with that? Once in a lifetime wordplay, mostly. I mean, how often can one say that the first show of the year 2020 is literally the first show of 2020? But more than that, I heard about how famously mismanaged that first show was, and I thought that was worth looking into. The show wrapped up. Everybody in the control room breathed a sigh of relief. And there was much rejoicing. All for everybody, except Rune Arledge, who we should probably remind you at this point did not want to be involved in day-to-day production, as he was already busy working on getting ABC's World News Tonight off the ground, hence passing the duties over to Bob Shanks. When the show went off the air, Arledge cautioned to Shanks, quote, don't confuse getting off the air on time with a successful show, end quote. Further lamenting that the final verdict would come the same way all opening night bows do, through a combination of the Nielsen ratings and critical reviews. And boy, did they not disappoint. The New York Times called the program dizzyingly absurd, while the Washington Post was far more savage, comparing the program to standing in a supermarket checkout for over an hour staring at the covers of tabloids, as well as calling it, quote, the trashiest stab at candy cane journalism yet made by a TV network, end quote. Yes, I admit that wordplay is one of my guiltier pleasures, but don't you think you should have started the year with something a little more obvious in its failure? After all, 2020 is still on the air to this day. That kinda goes against what we stand for, doesn't it? Again, this was really one of those strike-while-the-iron-was-hot kind of situations. 
Truth be told, I kind of wanted to start the year with a clerk sitcom pilot, but again, who doesn't like wordplay once in a while? Speaking of clerks, that was your second show this year. I've got no complaints about it per se, but I do have to ask you why you had to censor some of the show, but not the rest of it. Uh, chalk it up to still being on the learning curve, so to speak. I know podcasts can be a little freewheeling when it comes to language, but this was only our eighth episode overall. I didn't want to come off as too crass. Too crass? You're in hell! I don't think you need to worry about pissing yourself or pissing others off over a few bad words. Even these? Touchstone Television thought to themselves, well, if the kids enjoy it, maybe millions of other people might enjoy it too. And then they reminded themselves of the source material. Put it where it doesn't belong. My pipes need cleaning. All volume eight. I need your worshiping My eight shafts. Clean. Gargling naked. Buns three. Socks. Eileen. Huge black with pearly white. Girls who crave Yeah, sorry about all the bleeps here, but even though we can swear around here, we still kinda have a family rating to uphold, and suffice to say, we also have a little bit of dignity. Oh, wait a minute, uh, what was that called again? Oh. I see what you mean. Even I wouldn't say that stuff. And I'm evil incarnate. Which, by the way, is also the reason why we covered the sitcom pilot. It took everything that was great about the movie and totally neutered it just for the sake of cashing in on an existing brand. But because this is a far more sanitized TV show, we just get a back and forth that not even teen-oriented shows that aired on Saturday mornings in the 90s would ever touch with a 10-foot pole. And it's because of this award-lacking dialogue that the Clerks pilot earned itself a nickname through the years. Saved by the Clerks. Just be glad that Mark Paul Gossler isn't in this show either. Because as we all know... Zach Morris is trash! Yes, I noticed that theme on a lot of some of the shows you did. But especially on the next one you covered, Quark. Which you dismissed as having cashed in on the original Star Wars craze. And I actually kind of admire you for going after a show that didn't seem bad on the surface in the first place. After all, what would hell be like if we didn't pick on things that didn't deserve it? Well, aside from it being a Star Wars cash-in, as we state in the show, the real reason why the show even got any attention in the first place was because of network mismanagement. Or, to put it lightly... So with all the pros and cons balancing things out, the question remains, if the show fell somewhere in the middle, what exactly makes Quark sin-worthy? I'll give you one guess. That's right. Our Telehell patron saint, Fred Silverman, is involved here. As we mentioned all the way back on our Super Train episode, Silverman joined NBC in 1978 as network president. And while his presence wouldn't truly be felt until the fall of that year, Silverman started getting to work in January of that year, when he began to systematically deconstruct the work of his predecessors, up to and including canceling shows as quickly as they went on the air, seemingly for no reason other than to start 
things off with a clean slate for the fall. It didn't matter if the ratings for these shows were good, bad, or indifferent. If anybody but Silverman okayed the show, they would get the axe, whether they liked it or not. An incident in show business that would henceforth be known as the slaughter on 6th Avenue. In Quark's case, its demise was as simple as becoming cannon fodder for the two shows that Silverman programmed opposite, Wonder Woman on CBS and Donnie and Marie on ABC, which coincidentally, Silverman gave the green light to when working for that network. In spite of the increasing fan base and improved humor of the show as the weeks went by, Quark simply didn't stand a chance, and ultimately burnt up on re-entry after only seven episodes, eight if you include the TV movie pilot. You see, even though it may seem fun to rip on shows just because they were bad in general, I'd like to find out more about the how and the why instead of simply droning on that a show sucks just because it does. Because sometimes that's a little too easy. Not just shows. I see that you managed to take down some infamous events as well. You got the hiding game, the wardrobe malfunction, and Snow White at the Oscars. And each of them unique in their follies, but they resulted in sweeping changes for their respective scenarios. The Heidi game changed how a sporting event is broadcast, the wardrobe malfunction changed how live TV gets presented, and the Oscars Snow White incident... Uh... Yes? I'll be honest, this was one of those seen-to-be-believed moments that deserved to be ripped so many new ones. It gets worse. folks, this is really happening. When watching this episode, I had to stop and start the video again at least a dozen times just to make sure I don't laugh my ass off. That's how painful this is, folks. And now you get to live that same pain with me. Ah, I remember that one. Rob Lowe's off-key singing still sends shivers down my spine. And we don't even have air conditioning. So I've noticed. Now for Valentine's Day, you've covered the top eight worst dating shows that you've seen. And again, I've got no major complaints. But I gotta ask, you were on a roll there. Why only eight? Well, as we state in our lists, they're never written in stone. They're not definitive, and we try to keep things open-ended in case there were certain shows we suddenly remember over a period of time. Which is also why we limited things to seven when we did our list on the laugh track a few months later. Yes, we'll get to that soon. Meanwhile, you ended the first half of the season with a look at a TV movie that even I've never heard of before. Of all the TV movies that were made, why California Girls? Partly to test the waters a little. Keeping in mind, this is the first TV movie that we ever covered, and we wanted to make sure we got into a specific groove for them before we covered another one in the future. If there is a future, that is. I also see that this one invoked a lot more anger than some of the subjects you covered this year. 
Well, if there's anything that I hate more than hacky writing, it's when the basis of a story is all a dream, and that something from that dream winds up coming true in the most inexplicable of ways. Good lord did this ending piss me off. What the flying fuck was this eternal sunshine on the spotless mind shit? Does this mean the moral of the story is that if you dream about somebody who appears several times in said dream, that you'll eventually show up in real life? With that kind of logic, Charlie Rocket and Martin Mole should have been out on the beach with metal detectors. And the California girl should have been somebody, anybody. She should have been there too. Because unless I'm reading this incorrectly, the movie is trying to get us to believe that. And with a minor character, no less, that may have had at best, at best, not no more than five total minutes of screen time. Why not end with a California girl standing in Tommy Contain's place and have her act like a normal person instead of a snob she turned out to be in Benson's dream? That would have made a lot more sense than what we got here. Shit, Jaja Gabor appearing on the beach would have made more sense than this. It's bad enough that they added the cliche that it was all just a dream. It's even worse that this was the payoff for the past two hours of mind-numbing mindlessness. That's it. I'm done. Fire up the circles. Now! And this was where the show hit the halfway point for the year. The last time we spoke, I wanted you to make crossovers on other shows. How did that turn out? Well, we managed to do some exchanges with three shows this season. Uh, first, I appeared in January on a show called Your Podcast or Mine to help kick off the season. And then during the halfway break in March, I appeared as a guest on That Week in SNL, which is a show that goes over vintage Saturday Night Live episodes. And also, just as I was tumbling my way down here, I was able to pull myself together long enough to appear on a show called Podcast Whisperer. And that episode should be appearing sometime later this summer. Well... Look at you. I told you that would work. How about people from other shows coming to you? Unfortunately, it's still a little early in the game to have anybody come here, but I'm working on it, I promise. Hmm, yes. Now then, we pick up the second half of the season with Nearly Departed. Explain. Well, back when I was among the living, I was a big Monty Python fan. And the fact that Eric Idle would lower himself to doing a show like that just rubbed me the wrong way. You planned all this, didn't you? First you say a couple of days, then it's a couple of weeks, months! Pretty soon your old pals will start hanging out around here. Guys with names like Bud, Ernie. They'll spend all day out on the porch, whittling, spitting on my azaleas. And then he throws up all over the Cuba Libras and sending tinted postcards of places they don't realise they haven't visited to all at number 22. Weather wonderful, arms marked with an ex food, very greasy, but we found a charming all over place hidden away in the back streets where they serve Watney's red barrel and cheese and onion. And the important place, maybe it's because I'm a And I suppose you felt the same way about Rodney Dangerfield. Oh yeah, that sitcom pilot that he did was not only a total waste of his talents, but the talents of other actual talented people. Jay Thomas barely did anything, Punky Brewster barely did anything, Thea Vidal barely did anything. I I'm convinced that the show was done as the result of a bad wager. But even more than that, the show's premise itself was beyond a joke. Any explanation will do. Any at all. 
Hell, I'll give you a few. Uh, young Rodney got hit in the head with a VHS copy of Caddyshack. Uh, young Rodney's femoral artery got damaged by a jagged laser disc copy of Back to School. Young Rodney's nervous system got altered while sitting too close to the TV when the real Rodney was doing one of his Tonight Show appearances. Young Rodney accidentally choked himself with one of his red neckties and was able to develop telekinesis as a result. Young Rodney got electrocuted by his cable box trying to catch his latest HBO special. Uh, oh wait, that's that's how I wound up here. Okay, strike that. Any explanation at all, please. Well, as long as you're here, there's this girl, and I want to ask her out, but I can't get the words right. Nothing. You're just going to go ahead and ask Dangerfield for advice without any further research and development as to how this otherwise miraculous marvel wound up happening? Kid, I know what you're going through. Girls always gave me a hard time. There was one girl, she told me, come on over, there's nobody home. I went over, there was nobody home. Now, getting back to your list episodes, you did two of them this year. One for bad dating shows, and the other for bad uses of the laugh track. Again, no major complaints about them, you did touch on a number of heavy hitters with each list. But why limit things to just eight dating shows and seven bad examples of the laugh track? Well, as we state at the start of each list, and as I mentioned previously, they're not written in stone, and they're open to expansion. These were just the selections that came to our head first, and knowing full well that there's plenty more where that came from, hopefully we can expand on the subject someday. Leave the audience wanting more, basically. Mm, I suppose that's fair. Podcasters are usually hungry for content, so yeah, I guess we don't mind keeping the door open there. Let's move on to your month of May, and in particular, you went to the well a few times with our patron saint. Ah, uh, yes. Mr. Silverman. Well, given that he passed away back in January, and I figure that as long as we have the chance to do so, let's just take a look at some of the stuff that made him more infamous than famous. Three of them, to be exact. Let's start with We Got It Made. Ugh. If that was any more of a vapidly blatant ripoff of something, it'd be directed by Asylum Films. Well, they are right down the hall from us. I'm sure they'll appreciate the comparison any day. Well, nevertheless, this show did take what was great about Three's company, distilled it, neutered it, condensed it, distilled it even further, and then sold it as parts to make hot dog meat. And yet, it still somehow managed to get two seasons, albeit four years apart. And at 9 p.m., 8 p.m. Central and Mountain, Fred Silverman's first independent TV production hit the airwaves in the most earwormy way possible. Oh, it's not as annoying as the theme to Quark, but this song still ranks up there as one of the most annoying TV themes we've heard around here so far. However, there is one thing that makes this theme slightly more tolerable, and is arguably the reason why the show lasted as long as it did. A tight shot of a tight t-shirt. Specifically, Terry and her Copley's clinging closely in thin pink fabric. Yes, I know, that's a pretty chauvinistic thing to think. But prove me wrong that sex sells. Chances are that tittle, uh, I mean title sequence, was probably the show's highest rated minute week after week. Unfortunately, the ratings would take a nosedive as soon as we got into the actual show's content. We got it made. Yeah. 
Then before you wrapped things up, you also took down my mother the car somewhat significantly. While at the same time, you somehow found yourself defending it. How exactly did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, I was kind of wrestling a little bit on that one. Because, you see, my mother the car had this long-standing reputation for being one of the all-time worst TV shows ever created, even hitting number two on TV Guide's list of the worst TV shows of all time. And while it certainly deserves all the sins that it's worthy of, we felt the need to smear an asterisk on it because the show originally aired at a time when similar programs of a fantastical nature were on at the same time. Now, if a show like that were to air in more modern times, it would probably be worthy of even more ridicule now than it was back in 1965 when people were still playing fast and loose with the formats of TV shows. Television was still in a period of infancy and experimentation back then, and a lot of show creators were trying things out just to see what their creative limitations were. If that wasn't the case, shows like Mr. Ed, Bewitched, I Dream of Jeannie, or even fellow TV Guide worst of all time contender, The Flying Nun, would probably never have been given a fair shot. In fact, Burns and Hayward were aware of just how popular these shows have been, which is why, and here comes the twist ending, they originally wrote the show as a parody of those other shows. That's right. A show about someone's mother getting reincarnated as a car was never meant to be taken seriously. Even show co-creator Alan Burns himself says so in a 2015 interview with the Television Academy, which we'll link you to on our social pages. So, to that regard, maybe the show wound up getting lost in translation because there were already a number of fantastical shows out there that one more show with an out-there premise will wind up blending in with all the others despite their intentions. And personally, I just saw it as a cheesy sitcom competing with equally cheesy sitcoms and failing miserably in the process. Indeed. Now then, your last two shows of the season covered a common thread. Badly executed variety shows. Both of which were not only Fred Silverman's responsibility, but Sid and Marty Croft's as well. Well, the connection between all parties involved wasn't a coincidence. They were all looking to capture lightning in a bottle multiple times. Unfortunately, they wound up getting struck by it, and believe me, I know a thing or two about that. Pink Lady especially was hard to sit through because of the notion of a Japanese singing duo who barely spoke English being paired up with a little-known American comedian. I mean, that pretty much made about as much sense as having a glass of high C with a serving of turkey. Some extra soap. <laughs> Sign up. And so ends the first episode of Pink Lady and Jeff. NBC's Hail Mary into having a successful TV season under the watch of Fred Silverman. As is the case with just about every new offering on TV, there was always the hope that after hyping something to the nth degree, people would at least tune in to see the first episode and find out what all the fuss is about. But in Pink Lady's case... It didn't even have a snowball's chance in hell. Well, by all accounts and purposes, it looks like a pretty solid year in terms of content. 
But I do have a few follow-up questions to ask before we cast our judgment. First question. Are you aware that of the 17 shows you did, a majority of them were ranked at a rather middling amount of Circles of Hell? I... guess so. You do realize what kind of show you're trying to run here, right? You're supposed to be incinerating the worst that TV has to offer, and yet on most of these shows, you seem to be finding more positive points than negative ones. Why do you think that is? Um, well, to be fair, I'm still a little new around here, and even though I'm here because I stole cable, I'd like to think that I still know the difference between what's classic and what's crap. Uh, after all, there are plenty of shows that have existed that people are willing to defend to the grave. I mean, isn't a critic's job to pick apart things no matter how good or bad something is? Don't remind me how a critic thinks. You've got a whole wing of food critics on the gluttony floor whose punishment for unfair restaurant reviews is coming up with new menu items at Arby's. I've got movie critics in the violence circle forced to watch all the Silent Night Deadly Night movies on an infinite loop because, in their boundless wisdom, they gave movies like Ishtar, Sheely, and Freddy Got Fingered more than two stars in their reviews. And don't even get me started on the critics we have in our fraud circle. What did they do? They raved about Manos the Hands of Fate, and they also thought that people like Chloe Shaw, Rob Schneider, and Steven Seagal had talent back in their day. Unironically, no less. So, what you're trying to tell me is... Next season, be tougher. Rip into things a little more. Because whether you like it or not, you're going to be here for a long time. And if that's going to happen, you've got to know when to rip into something if you're going to fit in with the rest of the damned. I'm only giving you fair warning about this now because of that stupid fair play treaty I signed with you-know-who upstairs. In other words? <sighs> In other words, you're still on the learning curve, so unfortunately you're not in trouble here. Just think of these little meetings we have as ways to improve yourself. Even though I want to punish you for being too soft on some of your shows, I can't do that until I see how well you do during a full season of them. So does this mean that you're not gonna chop up my soul into confetti? It's too soon to tell for that. Besides, based on what I've seen so far, I kinda like it when you have those meltdowns over things you really can't stand. Why is the real Jan Brady not here? Why can't Greg Brady sing? Why can't Mike Brady dance? Why did the Bradys continue on into the 80s with more spin-offs? Why did they do a movie in the 90s where everybody else in the world but them live in present day? Why did they make a sequel? Why did the same cast do TV movies? Why the flying fuck is this show as popular as it is to this goddamn day? Why? I ask you for the love of all that is holy. Why? 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 <laughs> 
please stand by while our host regains his sanity. Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. <laughs> Morphine is the best drug ever. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> and they say entertainment is dead. Oh, wait, you're already dead. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Otherwise, with the exception of the softness on your reviews, and against my better judgment, I think you're getting yourself into a decent enough groove around here that you can handle a larger workload. But before we get to that, let's see how much lightning you've invoked this year. And a young, brash, but intrepid investigative reporter by the name of Geraldo Rivera. Of course, the bulk of the venom was squarely directed at the person who hosted that year's ceremony, and also hosted the previous year. One, Mr. Chevy Chase. The Oscars has remained one of the hallmarks of television, with its equal share of good and bad moments. And thankfully, they got the worst one out of the way. Don't tell me about my speech. I'll know just what to say. We figured that the first TV movie that we cover here is not an obvious piece of cheese. Like, say, for instance, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, Bad Ronald. Of all the cliches there are in any form of media, the one where it was all a dream is probably the laziest, the most unoriginal, the most devoid of any creativity, and it's even an insult to the word crutch. And you know what else? I'd like to volunteer a lightning strike on this cliché. Do it! But since this is TV in the designated family hour, something has to come along to prevent this G-rated show from getting a P attached to it. We mentioned that the movie of the week was also the launching pad for several TV series, including classic hits like Alias Smith & Jones, and of course, Wonder Woman. But not the one you're thinking of. There was also a claim that when he was a comedian, Rockwell also opened for Jay Leno. <laughs> Come on, one fire at a time, please. Now, I trust that you're actually going to make good on the things that struck you this year, right? As long as there's no more cases of Murphy's Law preventing me, I'll do it all. I promise. Good. Let's type up your assignments. <laughs> okay. 
Your next set of missions are going to begin on October 4th, 2020, and will run through the end of May of 2021. 27 subjects in all, you'll get a break during the holidays and another one in March of 2021. Now, based on what you did last year, all the shows that you invoked lightning on are mandatory. Once again, we're going to require that you do shows connected to major events and holidays. That would be your football and Oscar-related shows. Even if they push up the dates of those shows by a couple of months for unseen reasons, do it anyway. At the same time, you're also going to do stuff for Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Valentine's Day. In addition, since this looks to be a year full of major events in the mortal world, see if you can throw in something related to the American election and the inauguration as well, no matter who wins. Now I liked the lists that you did. See if you can do at least four more. Same goes for TV movies. Do at least four of those, including the ones you got struck with lightning on. And, because you actually got a sponsor for the show, we've decided to reinstate some of your Commercials of the Damned privileges on the condition that it's the commercial itself you make fun of, and not the product. Everything else that I didn't mention is dealer's choice. Review what you want, but like I said before, make sure it's something to get angry over. Try to avoid that three out of nine circles shit if you can help it. Most importantly, in light of the times you've crossed over onto other people's shows, I want you to try to get a few people to come by your way. See if they share a similar point of view to the things you have to go over. Even if you have to drag them to hell personally to do it. Now then, there's going to be a gap of time between now and October, so I trust you're going to do some things in between. Yes, sir. We've been getting a lot more fan letters. And once again, I'm going to ask people to submit more questions to us for another Q&A show in August. Afterwards, we'll drop our Season 3 trailer in mid-September, and we'll take it from there. Excellent. If there's anything I can't stand, it's when nothing happens for a long, long time. I may have invented sloth and laziness, but even I have my limits. Other than that, are there any questions before you go? Just one. Why specifically did you give me a broken skateboard to come down here? Isn't it obvious? Not really. I've never used one when I was alive. Why would I use one when I'm dead? That's the point. You've never used one. See, when you died, we got a hold of your entire life history. And while there were a number of things that you've done over the years, we just used that info to narrow down the things you haven't done for whatever reason or no reason at all. Whether you simply hate them or never wanted to try them, hell wouldn't be hell if we didn't throw in a dash of irony. But... What was ironic about the skateboard? Nothing, really. If there's anything I enjoy more than human misery, 
It's watching people fail miserably or getting horribly injured at things they've never tried. Why do you think I still allow shows like Ridiculousness and America's Funniest Home Videos on the air? Okay, point taken. I guess this means you want me to skate back upstairs to Limbo? No, no, no. As an old fiend of mine once told me, repetition is the scourge of genius. No great thinker ever copies himself. And besides, we got the lava lake working again after sanitizing it. The geyser should put you back up there in seconds, and if you hurry, you can catch the next one back. Oh, I did have one more question before I go. Um, if I do well on this season, what are the chances that I get to come down a circle? Well, you pretty much answered your own question there. Exceed our expectations, and you'll be eligible for a promotion. Of course, that would mean having to do everything we ask without making any noticeable errors. Whether something goes wrong in the real world or not, for if you don't comply, the consequences of your inactions will be swift and severe. So, basically, do my job and don't fuck it up. Got it. Now then, just do me one more favor before you go. I'm always looking for a couple of stooges to test out some new torches around here, and this one in particular will involve the geyser in question. So, do me a solid and stand on that letter X over there. Like I have a choice? So, how does this work? Well, according to the instructions, First, I turn the crank, which snaps the plank and boots the marble right down the chute. Now watch it roll and hit the pole, knock a ball in the rubber duck tub, which flips the man into the- Huh. Ah! <laughs> it needs a little work. It completely missed the part where the little net comes down to trap the mice. How else will you know if you win the game? <laughs> I didn't know Hasbro worked in the dark arts. Then again, they worked with Michael Bay on five Transformers movies, so I wouldn't put it past them. Okay, shake it off. Shake it off. Now then, 27 weeks of shows. That shouldn't be hard. And certainly one of them has to be my ticket out of here. Oh, yeah, right. I bet you thought I forgot, but I'm still looking for a show out there that's so horrible that it checks off all nine circles of hell. And if you heard the previous season recap, if I ever find a show like that, that's my ticket out of here, and I can kiss this infinite void goodbye. But before we do that, there's one other order of business that we need to take care of. We're taking this opportunity to let you know that we are now going to be accepting questions from anybody who's following us on our social media pages, Twitter and Facebook at Telehell Podcast. Feel free to ask us any questions either about this show, about television in general, or whatever else is on your mind. We'll compile all your questions and make them a part of the next edition of Ask Telehell, which is scheduled to premiere on August 16th. But to make sure that we have all our questions in on time, you have between now and August 4th to ask them. Once again, Twitter and Facebook at 
Telehell podcast. Ask us any questions you have, either about this show, about television, or whatever else. And by the way, try to keep things PG rated, please. And we'll take care of everything when we return with Ask Telehell on August 16th. Until then. If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Do I really sound like the boss? Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. The part of the devil's secretary was played by Joan Bishop. Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast.